Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Kelly Hogaboom to discuss the monster of the id attack from Forbidden Planet, from the first blip on the radar to the creature fading away. Hello! Hello! Who is it? Hello, Kelly. Hello, Eric. Hello, hello, hello. Right, Kelly, uh, I, I was going to say meat, but it's not meat, is it? Uh, I first, what's the word? I first encountered you. <laughs> that's a good word. Uh, on, on the B-Movie Cast podcast. Um, and I know from, um, you, you know, on there that uh, I don't think this has been much of a hardship for you to uh, uh, discuss this film tonight. Oh, absolutely not. This is one of my favorites. Excellent. Good, good. Um, and also, this is the first subject that was made before um, the hosts were born. So I, I'm guessing you, you've only ever seen it on TV? Oh, um, I've actually, I've, I've never had television. So I have seen it via DVD and then Blu-ray. Right, right. But you, you, you've never seen it theatrically. There's never been a re-release that you've court or a cult film night at a cinema or anything like that no i haven't had that opportunity although in our house we have like a seven foot wide projector screen surround sound hd 3d we have a pretty cool system but no i haven't seen it on the big screen seven foot wide screen yes you have seen it in a cinema <laughs> <laughs> and the popcorn's cheaper too so. yeah well there you go there you go and you haven't got some idiot on their phone right behind you and uh, well, I, I do i mean it's my kids but you know. <laughs> yeah but you can hit them around the ear roll you can't do that I in can't, public. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was watching it uh, this morning, ready for uh, ready for now, and I was just thinking, well, I'd love to go in a time machine back and uh, see it with an audience that had never seen it before um, back in the fifties to just see that how impactful it must have been. Yeah, I, I often think that when I'm watching, like, I just watched House of Wax with Vincent Price, and that was like his first movie where he was a villain. Mm -hmm. And I and I'm like, like you say, I mean, by the time I was born, he was already established that way. Yeah. So yeah, there is something about seeing it many years later. You you the reputation of the film precedes it, and yeah, I, I I'm with you on that. That would be amazing to see what Forbidden Planet was experienced like for you know in 1956. I, I also, you know, I I, I curse sometimes um, the likes of Police Squad and Naked Gun because I can't see, you know, Leslie Nielsen in anything other than comedies now. I know. You're just waiting for him to do something totally goofy the whole time. But the thing is, in, in Naked Gun and Police Squad, his Frank Drebin, he played it straight. I mean, yes. his style of acting is, is no different, really, to... Uh, the guy he's playing in this film, he's playing it absolutely right. straight down the line, isn't he? Yeah, he's so great. And I was raised on, you know, Airplane and, and The Naked Gun. I haven't seen any, hardly any police squad. 
Um, but seeing him as a young man was very odd because, you know, he's, he's kind of cute and, um, you know, he's skinnier and, but he still has that like bow-legged walk and, you know, he's still a <laughs> Lieutenant Frank Drevin. So yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a real trip. <laughs> and it's almost, I mean, you could, if you aged him up a bit, he, they, they've said that this film is sort of like a prototype Star Trek and he is like a prototype Captain Kirk. And it's almost like Frank Drevin <laughs> as Captain Kirk, you know? Yeah, although he's not the Canadian in the film. I think Walter Pigeon is, isn't he? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So do you remember seeing this film for the first time? Yeah, I think but I think it was about 2013, though. I've only recently. Oh, really? Um, yeah, absolutely. I'd heard of it. You know, people, I'm, I'm about to turn 40. I turn 40 tomorrow. And people my age know this film from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, reference. Got so I'd, I knew of the film for many years before I before I saw it. And did it like live up to expectations after knowing all that and uh, and the build up? Oh my it? gosh! It's I I can't believe more people don't know about the film. Um, I'm sure that's an age thing. You know, I have friends who are in their twenties, and but um, it's I, it's an amazing film. I I love it. My husband saw it for the first time last night when we reviewed it for this podcast, and he really liked it. It holds up very well. I mean, some aspects, some of the uh, yeah, some of it, you just yeah, some of the uh, well, it's not politically correct to put it that way. It's of its time, but the special effects I think really do hold up incredibly well. Yes, and when I saw it in 2013, you know, I've seen it a couple times before last night. I wasn't watching the Blu-ray, and I wasn't watching it on such a big screen. And um, the Blu-ray on our on our system was, I mean, it was pristine. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've got it on Blu-ray, and um, um, I've, I've seen it, unlike yourself. I, I, I can't remember when I first saw it. I, saw, I, I was definitely a child. I don't know how small I was. And it's this sequence that we're going to talk about tonight is the reason I chose this sequence out of the many ones I could have chosen. It scared the crap out of me. It so, so scared me. Yeah, I could, when we were watching it last night, um, <clears throat> you know, my my husband wasn't scared at that scene, but I thought, you know, as a as a child, anyone who saw this as a child, there were several very terrifying scenes. And I, I mean, I know the scene that we're going to talk about today, but, you know, the footprints were scary. That was the scariest part for me. Um, and of course, I am totally ignorant as to how any of these special effects were done. So I'm looking forward to your insights today. Okay. Okay. Well, I was going to mention the whole footprint thing because um, just before we actually get to this sequence, you've got the, uh, the, the, the science guy. He's made that plaster cast of the foot, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> and just yeah. seeing that foot is—is is, that's blooming scary. That is. Yeah, but it—I couldn't. It didn't really match the foot. I didn't like that part. <laughs> didn't make much sense to me. But yes, it was very. Sc- and you said it was a giant like tree sloth. Yeah, it's got the toe of a sloth. That, no, that's a T Rex <laughs> toe. You know, that's not a sloth. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty scary sloth for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Yeah, and it you know it's just like in the first Alien movie, <clears throat> you know the less they show a monster, you know, often the scarier the monster is, and I think this film definitely utilized that. Yeah, I, th- I think that especially, I mean, you know, up until this point, it's in- invisible, and you know, it's up to your imagination. But even in this bit, I mean, we're going to come up to it shortly. But when you finally do see the creature, a lot of it is just implication because it's yes. outlines, really. You know. Yes. 
Absolutely. And beautifully done. Yeah. Um, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. So, so that's a good point, I think, to actually go into a clip. So here's the clip. What? It just stopped at the foot of the pass. Are you sure you've got a real blip there? Because a house, sir. And we were dead on target with both bursts. It's coming on again. Straight across? It shows here. It's still coming. Great. Strong. Set up a crossfire on those rocks. Okay, we start with Leslie Nielsen. Um, that, they're all outside the saucer, aren't they? And, and we start with Leslie Nielsen being told that the, the radar has just picked up something. Mm-hmm. And this is... I love this sequence for many, many reasons. And the first one comes along now, which is as soon as he's told that, the music starts up. It's this the electronic score. I mean, it was quite innovative, wasn't it? That this, yeah. uh, the, the, this electronic score. But the, when the music starts up, it's like a heartbeat. And it's got a rhythm to it. And it slowly starts speeding up, which I love. I love that effect. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm thinking of other, you know, later films that emulated that, like Alien. And um, the soundtrack... I believe this was the first ever elect fully electronic soundtrack. And it was a little bit controversial. Um, I think in terms of who got paid and how they marketed the soundtrack, but yeah, this scene is definitely kind of the, I wouldn't say the guitar solo of the film, but it's a pretty important one. Yeah. And, and I think if, if you, if you didn't have that music in there, it wouldn't be anywhere near as tense, you know, it, it's there to start building up the tension. Um, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's quite infamous, this score, because it wasn't considered music uh, because there, there weren't any proper instruments played. So it wasn't considered as uh, music, which is mad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially since we're so used to, um, you know, films with theremin and with synthesizers. And today we're very used to that. And so um, when we watch it today, we don't even think it's that much different. But it, in terms of the time, it absolutely was. Yeah, I, I Going off uh, off track slightly, I recently I saw an interview with Gary Newman, and he was saying that when he first appeared on Top of the Pops, there was almost like a union strike because the studio musicians didn't consider what he was doing to be music because he was doing it all from a keyboard and wasn't using uh, proper instruments. So therefore, he wasn't a musician, which is kind of yeah. insane. <laughs> that, that's definitely an antiquated attitude, but you can kind of see why people might have that attitude. You know, they're scared of, of new tech. Well, they're all these old boys, aren't they, that were, that were born in like the 20s and 30s in, uh, in you know, in, in their corduroy jackets and, uh, and their bow ties. And they didn't like anything new or anything different, you know. 
Right. And I and I know we're off track, but I believe the theremin is the only musical instrument you play without touching. So, you know, yeah, that would seem very foreign and very alien and, and odd. So I, I can see I can see where they'd get that attitude. Very science fiction as well, which is in, uh, totally suitable for this then, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, we, we we next we get the battery guns. They uh, they start firing into the canyon, and uh, I just wanted to say here, you get so used to seeing in science fiction where somebody's got a whacking great big gun, and it looks like you know it could be a Napoleonic cannon, but with greeblies stuck on it, so it makes it look science fictiony. But this thing is just it's like it's a vertical square panel with a laser in each corner. Which is a fantastic design. When when else has you, have you ever seen anything like that? I haven't. And actually, the design for this film, especially watching it again with a critical eye, because I, I know you're a special effects guy, the design in this film is is incredible and it's amazing and it looks expensive and extensive and it was it's pretty unique. I I would think anyone who likes any science fiction should watch the film just for, like you say, like the weapons design and the craft, you know, the, the little, um, they're driving around on that. I don't even know what, how they built that thing. It was like a caterpillar with a magnet on it. I mean, really amazing, uh, tech design in this film. Oh, all of it. I mean, from Robbie, the robot, as you say, the, 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 the ship is a, is your standard flying saucer, but it's just been done so beautifully well, hasn't it? Yeah. And of course, Robbie is, I mean, everyone, my, my 14 year old kid knew who Robbie the robot was um, and had never seen this film before. Right, right. See, I, I think what perpetuated Forbidden Planet with me, when I, as I say, I saw it when I was very small. Um, so I wasn't, I don't think it was around then, the literature, the books all about science fiction films. But I, I, I continued to see Robbie the robot because he popped up on you know uh, lost in space he would turn up there he would turn up in the invisible boy uh, a 50s science fiction b movie you know that he he just kept making return appearances in places you know yeah and it's so interesting because um do we have a minute to talk about Robbie or should we get back yeah, to Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, this is a spe- special effects show and he's a special effect. So, uh, well, he's a special, special effect. So, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> well, one of the things that's scary about this film is his uh, – Robbie, you cannot tell. You can tell he has a bit of a personality, which I think was a first in, in science fiction film. But you, he's very his, – his, quote, face – he doesn't really have a face and it, you could read it either way as sinister or benign. And there's earlier in the scene with Earl Holloman when he, when he says nothing is coming this way, you know, stuff like that, because the monster was you know coming a different way, made Robbie kind of sinister. And I noticed in Robbie's like if you see him on the poster art, the they've um, illustrated his face as a little bit more sinister than it was in the film. And of course, when he was in the Twilight Zone, I can't remember the episode, but they actually gave him more of a face. Um, so, you know, Robbie is is quite for me was quite a player in the tension of this film because I couldn't, you know, when I first saw it, I couldn't tell if he was going to come in on the side of essentially good or evil. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I've I've seen posters for the film where they actually play up. The, the almost the menace side of Robbie the robot, where you've got these amazing posters where he's like, um, you, you, you know, he's striding forward and looking like like he's the bad guy. 
Absolute, like his those little um, I don't even know those gyroscopes in his his dome are like slanted and looking angry and and sinister. And I mean that's that's amazing because the Robbie in the film, if you look at him, you 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 can't you don't really see a face. Um, but yeah, I I loved Robbie, and I can see why he was wildly he went on to have a wildly successful career after this film. Yeah, yeah, no, beautiful, beautiful classic, classic design of uh, science fiction film. I think, yeah. Anyway, um, the music stops dead all of a sudden. And again, this is a great moment. The music stops dead. And then we find that the radar blip has just stopped at the foot of the pass. Um, and then it starts up again. Uh, and wait, wait, that's right. When it starts moving again, the music starts up again. And I love the way that, that they're synchronizing the music to the steady approach of this unknown thing. Yeah, and I think they call it, don't they call it an arroyo? That he's coming out of an arroyo. They had that like antiquated Western um, mm. language, which I thought was kind of funny because, yeah, you, it was like, I felt like we were in a monster film at this point as opposed to a science fiction film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, I, I, I was, as I say, I was watching it today, and that actually is quite a tense scene. As uh, you, you just got these shots, these panning shots of the crew just st- standing and waiting for something to happen, and it's actually quite a tense scene. And then something hits the force wheel, force wall, and everyone opens fire, and right. out he comes. Um, do you want to try and describe what you see to begin with? Well, um, now I watched this, this scene last night, but so they're basically at this point, the animated, um, what would you call it? The, the gunfire, I guess, is bouncing off of this invisible creature and that's how you're seeing its shape. And that's when you kind of are seeing that it has eyes and teeth. I mean, it's actually a monster. It's not just a amorphous blob. Um, and, and it's trying, it's straining to, to get through the, um, the sort of la- invisible laser barrier or whatever you call it. Yeah. And, and, and what we were saying earlier, a lot of it is implication because you can see that it's got a massive mouth. You can see that it's got two very tiny eyes close together and it's got some sort of hump, but you really don't see much more. The, the bit I don't like about this sequence is you, you start to see that he's trying to force his way through and all the guys, they've as much as I like, you know, the, uh, the laser batteries, the design of that, I don't really like their, their rifles that they've got because that is a very much a cliche science fiction tube and they open fire and the laser bolt effects I think are a bit, ooh, because uh, they just like white slashes across the frame. Yeah, and there's even if I'm remembering um, uh, the captain and his his right hand man, they're kind of just standing there. They don't they don't even have their arms fully extended. They're just kind of, kind of like you know passively shooting at this thing. It seems like you'd either be giving it all you've got or you'd be running. Yeah, and and uh, Leslie Nielsen, he's still deadpan. You know, still. Yeah. Yeah, the the their facial and body language doesn't match the intensity of the of the scene. I felt. No. no. And the monster gets a couple people at this point. Yeah, this, I, 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 I was going to say that's when we properly start seeing him, and he does. He stomps on a couple of crewmen. But the thing, and this is the thing that always stayed with me when I was little, is not only the fact that you barely see him, and he's such a strange, strange looking creature. It's that roar 
It's that roar that he does, that echoing roar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very powerful. And um, so, I mean, do you – now, I, the only podcast of yours I've listened to so far is The Crawling Eye when you said, oh, I, we don't quite know how they got this or that effect. But did, did you look into – how they did it. Um, oh, yeah. We're, we're going to do that when we come to behind the scenes. Okay? Gotcha. Okay. okay. But what yeah. I don't know is how they did the roar. I'm, I'm assuming it's some sort of animal roar, which they've put through reverb and re-recorded or something like that. Yeah, they, they've distorted. And, and that's the first time we hear it, too, I think. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean the two, the two, the the, the visuals and the, the the audio of this creature, you know, astonishing. E even now, I mean, and I, I, as I say, I've got it on Blu-ray and I watched it this morning. Even now, that that is a pretty darn impressive effect. If you put that into a modern film today, I don't think too many people would have have a problem with it. I don't think it's Considering it is a, essentially a cartoon, as I say, we'll come on to this in behind the scenes. It's essentially a cartoon, but it's not cartoony. No, and I personally like um, practical effects and animated effects um, a little bit more than um, CGI effects a lot of the times because of that kind of roughness or the, you know, we just watched The Thing again <laughs> last week. John and, Carpenter's. Yes, that one. And uh, I, I, kind of, I tend to like the animated, even when it is a little corny, it's just... Maybe um, it seems a little less sterile than some of the monster effects that we see with CGI, you know. Um, and I, I'm wondering if we're ever going to get back to traditional animation or um, more practical effects in, in these sci-fi or horror films. Because I think a lot of there's a lot of people out there that like those effects. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I mean, there, there, there is certainly a, um, a, a group of uh, filmmakers out there that still like using uh, practical effects and, and model work over CGI. I mean, Duncan Jones on Moon. Um, right. There was very little CGI in that. That, that was old school miniature filmmaking, you know? Yeah, we, that's so funny. We were just talking about that film last night, too. <laughs> that's, that's another great sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you say about John Carpenter's The Thing, I, I, we're going to be coming, we're going to be dipping into that film over and over and over again on this podcast, because I, I think it's a masterpiece. Absolutely. Um, and, you, you, you know, the effects in that have stood up so well, because they are practical effects that were on set, they were happening live. If you compared that to e even the most modern CGI, you know, CGI dates, it, 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 and it's not forgiving. Oh, I mean. absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, we just watched Shin Godzilla and, um, you know, those are cute effects. Um, and again, they have, yeah, both practical and CGI. Um, but boy, it's hard to get a good look. You know, I think um, it, it does get dated quickly. I, I agree with you there. And um yeah, I, I the as far as the thing goes, it's and oh another one that had the practical effects that were kind of cheesy, but it really really um, effective was Tobe Hooper's Life Force. So, you know, yeah, I I'm totally with you on um, the maybe it's just the energy in the room when they're filming it because there's some creepy puppet in the middle of the room. I don't know, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I love the live effects even when they kind of 
they look a little silly or you can see the string or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I think with the thing, I mean, that helped immeasurably. You know, the actors are actors. They've got to act with something. And if something is actually physically happening in front of them, you know, Rob Bottin was a genius. And these things were actually happening live. They didn't have to imagine anything. But, but whereas where you've got a CGI film and it's all green sc- screen and they're told to look at a little ball on a stick and that is the monster <laughs> or something, you're not going to give the same performance, are you? Right, right, right. Anyway, um, yeah, as you say, he stomps on a couple of crewmen um, and then he picks up a man. And that, again, that's where where I go ouch a little bit, because even though they've animated the creature around the guy, you can still see he's basically hanging on wires. Yeah. Now, are you talking about when they when he picks up Jack Kelly? Yeah, he picks him up and looks at him, doesn't he? Yeah, and um, I couldn't tell. I think that's when Jack Kelly's character dies. Uh, but I, I wasn't looking for the ropes. Uh, again, you know, you're a special effects guy, but I'm not. I, <laughs> so I didn't see the ropes, but I'm quite sure that they were there, if, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, see, this is, this is my curse. I'm always looking beyond <laughs> things into how they're made. That's why I never get grossed out by horror films or anything, because I'm watching and going, oh, yeah, uh, that's a nice bit of uh, latex work there and the blood. How did they do it? And I'm thinking about the process of how they made it. It takes me out of a film, I know, and I I shouldn't do it, but I can't help it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you can. I mean, I'm the the other way. I I tend to pick apart the story uh, because I'm a writer, so that's kind of funny. Um, The special effects, I very rarely know what I'm looking at. Okay, well, that is a brilliant... Thank you for saying that, Kelly, because that's a great segue into behind the scenes, okay? So... Prepare to find out how they did it. Okay. Well, a little bit anyway. Um, here we go. Behind the scenes then. Um, as I say, the, the, the creature is animated. He's hand animated, much the same well as, uh, way as uh, cell animation, where, you know, you're painting one frame at a time. Um, and, and having said that, it's no surprise that uh, it was actually done by a Walt Disney animator uh, by the name of Joshua Medor. Okay. Um, he was loaned out by Disney to MGM uh, to make the film, and he had also worked on uh, Fantasia, uh, Bambi, Pinocchio, and Dumbo. So, you know, quite an important uh, lead animator in Walt Disney. Yes, and he died young. I just hope that, you know, he realized, you know, uh, or, or got the respect for the work that he had done. And I think did he um, did he work on Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea as he well? He did. Another, okay, yeah. He did indeed. Yes, yeah. yes. Obviously, very talented. Yeah, but as you say, died too young. Um, something I didn't realize until I was looking into the background of this. Um, did you see that the creature? See, I had a model of this creature about ten years ago. I got a, a, a resin model. Of this creature, it, it was clear red resin, okay, about six inches tall, and I lit him up. I put a, um, a torch light built into a base that I'd made so he would light up, and it, eventually I sold him because it was a physical object, okay, and this thing isn't a physical object. It didn't look right, but anyway, it had these tendrils. This model, they, these strange tendrils on its chin, okay. And I thought, I don't remember seeing that in the film. And it wasn't until I started looking into it that apparently it's got a small goatee beard. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and apparently that was 
done like that because it's suggesting the connection to Morbius. Oh. He's yeah. the only character with that feature, you know? Oh my gosh, I I totally missed that. Even even knowing where the creature comes from, um, yeah, I I did not pick up on that. That 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 the creature would physically in any way reference Morbius. Yeah, apparently he does. Then with a beard. <laughs> and and what does Morbius have against tree sloths? That's what I want to know. Maybe he's got the feet of a tree sloth. You never see his bare feet. Oh, gosh. That might have been another deep, dark secret. Or maybe the Krell did it to him, you know, being in the Krell buildings and that. It's transformed his feet into Sloth's feet, you know? I'm I'm seeing a model online. I'm looking online, and somebody built the creature and did not put the goatee in it. But it um, does have the feet. So where did your model come from? Oh, it was a garage kit. I got I got it in the States. Uh, you know, it's back in the heyday of garage kits. Uh, I don't think you can get it now. And there's never been a licensed uh, model of it. Okay. I'm, I'm guessing for that reason. I mean, how do you do a 3D object of something that's basically an outline? You know? Especially since it didn't have a back body, as far as I can tell. No. And I tell you what, I mean, it might be... I, I don't trust my computer to do two things at once, so I'm, I'm sticking with what we're doing tonight. But there, there was also at the same time, uh, somebody did like a more realistic version of what it would have looked like if it had been a creature. And I think it was John McVeigh. John McVeigh rings a bell, a sculptor. And he did it almost as if it was like a Jurassic Park style dinosaur. Okay. And for me, it just didn't work. You okay. had a two legged head with a big mouth done up like a dinosaur and no it didn't work and it was to me it was very mam- it was a mammalian creature hmm. it wasn't yeah. a reptile no that's not a dinosaur you know no 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 it I, I've, I've seen it being compared before and I, and I agree to a bulldog the face is very much like a bulldog uh, yeah yeah um and it's got those evil glowing eyes. That, to me, that was a little bit of a weakness uh, in that special effect, that, that its eyes were illuminated the whole time. That, that made it a tiny bit corny. Yeah, and that, that plain white as well, aren't they, you know? Yeah, and they weren't, it wasn't, you know, the, it was the gunfire or the laser fire um, that was illuminating the outline. And so for the eyes to just glow like that, that took me out of the, the moment a bit. But again, I watched this film for the first time in my 30s, not when I was nine. So, you know, and also, you're wa- also you're watching it in the 21st century. If you if you take this in context of it being mid 50s and you think of what had come out before that, there was a lot of dumb stuff. But, you know, nothing quite like this, you know, um, I, 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 as I say, I, I would love to have been um, sat in an audience back in the 50s when this came out. Yeah. And I'm thinking of the other film that comes to mind that came out a couple of years later is Angry Red Planet. And it has, you know, um, a lot of monsters and they're pretty silly by comparison. So, yeah, I think this this monster was a pretty good one, especially for the time, like you say. I tell you what, it's funny you should mention that film because that is one I've been considering to do because it's not just classic scenes. I want I want some of the duffer ones, you know, and I love that film dearly. Again, you've got red monsters, um, you know, because of the, 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 the process of doing it. But, but uh, yeah, they are very silly and rather daft. But, yeah, I, I quite like them. Maybe we should uh, have a return visit to that sometime. 
Um, I, I'm all over it any time. All right. I'll pencil you, in for, pencil you in for that one, Kelly, okay? okay. Great. Uh, one one last thing on behind the scenes is I I don't know. I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently uh, the monster, his appearance in his roar is supposed to be a sly nod uh, to Leo the Lion, the MGM mascot. Yeah, I I can see a, a Leonine um, influence for the monster. I yeah, I kind of um, I that's kind of how the monster appeared to me at first was like a lion. So I I, I hear you on that. Okay. It'd be nice if like the films that following year, you know, an MGM film had the, this monster instead of the lion at the beginning of the <laughs> film. That'd be nifty. Anyway, so that's it. That's all I've got behind the scenes. It's it's just how he was animated. I, as I say, I couldn't find anything about how the sound effects were done. Um, if anybody out there on the Facebook page could let us know, that would be good. Um, so so with behind the scenes out of the way, we go over to the rating. Um, and this is the moment, Kelly, where I ask for your rating, please. Um, um, out of 10, with 10 being, you know, bona fide classic and one being, you know, bottom of the barrel. Um, where would you rate this? I would give it a nine. The only reason I would dock it is I think the film's pacing is a bit slow, but I think in terms of story, there's so much going on. There's it's it's more than just a um, a Freudian you know reboot or a reboot of the Tempest. I think there's some cool stuff going on. I think it's it's absolutely beautiful and it's also very innovative. And it's entertaining even to a contemporary audience. So I'm going to go with a nine. Everything you just said, I will say as well, except I'm not as generous. I'll give it an eight. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because, it, yeah, it's it scared the living daylights out of me when I was little. And it's very impressive now. Um, and mainly because that monster is just so different and that fantastic sound effect. Um, just a little bit let down by, you know, just silly little things, really, you know, like the guy on the wires, but that's me being me um, and the little laser bolts that, you know. Mm. Um, so I, I'll give it an eight. So so if you give it a nine and I give it an eight, that, that gives it an average of eight and a half. Right on. So, yeah, yeah, I can live with that. Okay, all right, with that done... Um, that's us done. So thanks for coming along today, Kelly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it, and thanks for the opportunity to watch this film again. I hadn't seen it in, in about a year and a half. Uh, so this was great. And your husband's seen it for the first time as well. So double bonus. Absolutely. All right. Before you go, Kelly, is, it, it, is there anywhere anybody can uh, find you? Yes, I'm a couple places online. I have a website called uh, bmoviebffs.com, and I have a little Facebook group, um, bmoviebffs. And I always love talking about movies. I, I post something every day. And I'm also a tailor here in Aberdeen, Washington, and you can find me at The Vegan Tailor on, uh, on Facebook as well. But I definitely, if anyone's listening and wants to talk movies or recommend movies, I kind of like Eric – I, I like the good, the old stuff that's great, and I like I like the old stuff that's bad. Um, so I anything at all you've got, like lay it on me, and I would love to hear from anyone who's who's interested. Smashing, excellent. Thank you very much, then Kelly. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll book you in for a return to talk about other red aliens. All right. Yes, the angry red planet dog spider. That sounds super fun. Excellent. To be continued. Cheers, Kelly. All right. Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye.